Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Your Ben Jarofsky show for this Friday, November 10th begins now. Today on the show, Ben welcomes back one of the most downloaded guests in the history of the Ben Jarofsky show, Delmarie Cobb. The Ben Jarofsky show is a presentation of the Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago. If you want to know what to do, where to go, what to eat, what to drink, what shows are going on this weekend that you might want to check out, head to ChicagoReader.com. You can find out all that information and much more. And if you like Ben Jarofsky, you got more of him there too. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A. B is in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Delmarie Friday, and here's why. Because it's Friday, uh, and Delmarie Cobb is my uh, guest. I always love talking politics with Delmarie. And also, and this is just a blatant naked attempt of me uh, to pump the numbers, as I say to Delmarie all the time. Uh, Delmarie and I did a show. Uh, it was about, I forget how many months ago. It got to the top. I went virtual. I have no idea how any of this works, ladies and gentlemen. I've been podcasting now since the year 20, 20, 2019. I have no idea. Of course, I do no promotion, so I'm on my own worst enemy, but whatever. That's neither here nor there. Uh, and that show uh, shot to the top. So Delmarie uh, was talking about uh, football stadiums and how, in her humble opinion, the Bears should build on uh, the south side of Chicago. Uh, and, uh, I don't know, that triggered a response. So here's, here's my, um, I know ill-fated attempt, uh, to boost numbers. Bears, Delmarie, Bears, Delmarie. How about Delmarie Bears? Okay, there we go. It's rocket. By the way, last night, I know Delmarie's not really that much of a football fan. Uh, the Bears played something resembling a football game. It was one of the most pathetic, saddest displays of football I've ever seen. Delmarie, follow me on this. The Chicago Bears were playing the uh, Carolina Panthers. The two worst teams in football played on, for some reason, it was put on prime time on a Thursday night. The Bears stumbled to a 3.16-13 victory, mainly because the Panthers are so bad. They go, you take the win. We don't on it and i would say the only takeaway from that awful display of wretched football is that the bears most definitely have not warranted a handout from the public to build a stadium okay i would say that's the <laughs> way you could have unless and i hold this out unless in my humble opinion they use the money that they give to the Bears, essentially, to clean up that toxic waste dump on the south side of Chicago that's been left behind for how many years, Delmarie? How many years since? Well, the, at least over 30. Oh, it's way, no, it's, yeah, I think you go back to the 70s, but whatever. I guess that's. It's been forever. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, you, 
you would think the city of Chicago in its infinite wisdom would have cleaned up that area anyway. Exactly. Which sort of gets me, uh, Delmarie, uh, to a, a, one of the topics for over the week that I want to talk about, which is um, sort of the lingering resentment in black communities toward uh, immigrants. Uh, not toward immigrants, like, per se. Like, just the money that's being spent uh, on new immigrants, okay? And then it gets down to the immigrants itself, people being people. But when you think, Delmarie, that that site uh, on the south side of Chicago at, what is it, like 87th Lake or whatever, has just been allowed to fester, <laughs> filled with who knows what toxins, et cetera, and so forth, which would never be cleaned up in a million years. Like, that's exhibit A of what so many people, Black representatives like uh, JT, Jeanette Taylor, are talking about when they say, you know, our communities have been hurting for a long time, and it's a little difficult to see so much attention uh, put on new immigrants. So we're going to start uh, a total curveball. <laughs> uh, prepare you for this at all, but it just popped into my mind. Uh, the political discourse uh, that's going on right now uh, in the black community regarding the immigrants. And I, I've been neglect, of course, Delmarie Cobb, legendary strategist, uh, writer, thinker, uh, provocative person, dear friend of the Ben Jarofsky show. Um, so welcome back, Cotter, and uh, take the deep dive on this topic. Just think about it. That field sitting there at 87th and the lake, just filled with toxins, hasn't been cleaned up since the 70s. The only way it gets cleaned up if they figured out a way to give money to the Bears, Dumbree. There's something wrong. There's something wrong with the way the Chicago does business. Your thoughts? Oh, that is a prime example of the disinvestment that has been allowed to continue in the Black community for decades. And as you said, I mean, it's like the this closed schools are the third rail because you can't suddenly start fixing up these schools and repurposing them when the community has been asking you to do that for the last 10 years that they've been closed. And the city administrations have seen no reason to do that. Uh, and, and this field out there where the steel site was is a prime example of years and years and years of just benign neglect. And nobody says anything. Nobody tries to do anything. And as you said, who knows uh, what's out there? We don't know if there's causing any harm when wind blows and storms and all of those kinds of things. There's no telling what is, is happening over there. And But the, the, the other thing is, which is the most important, is this is prime real estate. It is on lakefront land. If it were on the north side, we know that this would not be allowed to happen. It would not have set idle, first of all, all these years. It certainly wouldn't have gone uncleaned, all, remediated all these years. And, and third, you would be building a development over there of some kind. Uh, who wouldn't want to live on the lakefront? <laughs> and, and that is precious land. We don't have a lot of lakefront land. Uh, and yet this is allowed to sit uh, fallow all these years. And that is just absolutely indicative 
of how the black community is viewed by all the administrations and by communities in Chicago that are doing well because you know you say something when something happens to your neighborhood oh my god we're getting ready to move oh my god is the, the 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 crime is so bad but it's okay that little black kids can't sit on their porch that little black kids can't ride their bikes that little black kids can't walk to school that little black kids can't sit in the kitchen with their granddaddies without the granddaddy being shot in the head it all of that is okay we don't say anything so it just shows you that, you know, when we talk about the city that works, uh, it's not working together. Well, that is for sure. Uh, and that last line uh, really uh, sums up what went down this week, the big news story this week that we've talked about a lot about on this show. Uh, and that um, uh, has to do, of course, with uh, Mayor uh, Johnson's floor leader, Carlos uh, Ramirez Rosa, Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa, uh, having to step down uh, after accusations that he bullied uh, some of the other aldermen and tried to pressure them from going to a meeting uh, that had been convened by a, a very unlikely coalition. I don't know how unlikely it is. Let me scratch that. A uh, very Chicago <laughs> coalition, now that I think about it, of Raylo, Alderman Raymond Lopez, and uh, Anthony Beal, the ninth ward, so uh, a, a Latino man uh, from the 15th ward and a black man from the ninth ward, Southsiders, uh, sort of joined together to strip Chicago of its status as a sanctuary city. And they want to have a referendum. They want to put this on the ballot uh, so that the voters can decide. And my guess is, uh, Delmarie, if that referendum is put on the ballot at this moment, there's a very good chance that voters would vote yes to strike Chicago's status as a sanctuary city, even though, as I will always point out when I discuss this, stripping Chicago of its status as a sanctuary city will not in any way either stop the busloads of Venezuelans coming up from Texas or provide money to build housing in Chicago. It will do nothing other than say, we don't want to be a sanctuary city anymore. Uh, and the leaders of that movement is, are, are, again, Beale and Lopez, a black man and a Hispanic man. What do you make of this, Delmarie? You've been in the game a long time trying to build coalitions between blacks and whites, blacks and Hispanics, Hispanic, blacks and whites. Uh <laughs> Your old friend Miguel Devay, remember that, that that meeting you convened on the South Side? Talk about the future of progressives in Chicago. Remember that in 2011? Oh yes. And um, I think you even schlepped me out there to be on the panel. <laughs> uh, so, what do you make of where we're at right now uh, with this sanctuary city thing? Go ahead. Well, first of all, um, Anthony Beal. Alderman Anthony Beal and Raymond Lopez are doing everyone a disservice uh, by confusing the issue and by using the word sanctuary to make people believe that it means open the doors and let everybody in. Uh, that is not what it means. That is not what was meant when Chicago became a sanctuary city under Harold Washington. It, it, what it means is um, it was about law enforcement. It was about making sure that the federal government couldn't use local law enforcement to go after illegal aliens or immigrants. 
Uh, that was the whole purpose of it. And so trying to make it into something it isn't does everybody a disservice. And how successful do you think it would be if that referendum came before the public? Oh, I agree with you. It would probably pass because of how high tensions are right now. And because the work isn't being done in the communities like it should to explain what is going on and what is needed. Um, I mean, there this, this is an education uh, piece. This is about making sure you keep people informed. I mean, I mean, I, I, I think about the Galewood residents because to me, they really represent uh, the issue better than most uh, in that this is a West Side community. It is mostly made up of homeowners. Um, homeowners are the ones who pay taxes for parks and you're willing to close a park that is heavily used by seniors and youth. We already have a problem in this city with not enough things for youth to do to keep them out of trouble. So here you have a community where the youth are engaged, the seniors are engaged. It is a field house that is heavily used and you're talking about closing it so that you can make a place for immigrants to stay. Um, until they're processed or they have permanent housing or whatever, and at the at the expense of the residents who are actually paying taxes to keep the parks open and the field houses programmed. And so that to me is the perfect example of why this is an issue. I agree with you. Uh, and I will point something else though. I'm gonna point something else. See, this is what really rubs me the wrong way. I, everything you said was was absolutely, I agree with you, and that the city should be finding other spaces uh, to house uh, the um, the Venezuelans or the refugees or immigrants, whoever they are being bussed in from Texas. Uh, but I, what strikes me, and I will say this over and over again, in 2007 and 2008, the city of Chicago had a plan to effectively turn over huge chunks of parkland for the Olympics. <laughs> they were going to turn our parks into construction zones, starting with Washington Park. Okay. And not only were the taxpayers who paid to have parks going to be uh, not being able to use the parks that they pay for, but insult to injury, they were going to pay with higher taxes because it would a blank check was written for the Olympics. They were going to pay not to be able to use the parks that they pay for. And the only people who spoke out against it were a few <laughs> malcontents like Delmarie Cobb and Ben Jarofsky, you know, and Pat Hill. May she rest in peace, okay? And a few others. We know who they were. The usual suspects, Delmarie. Right. So this is what, like, I don't understand about the Chicago mentality. Oh, we're outraged that we're going to lose the Gale, the, uh, the, the Galewood Fieldhouse for immigrants. But Oh, yay, we, we're going to lose all of Washington Park and Jackson Park, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, but that's a, that's a prime example of education or, or brainwashing, whichever you want to call it. Uh, Daly spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to brainwash Chicagoans into thinking we really needed the Olympics. 
that the Olympics were going to be the economic engine that was missing in Chicago and would get all the neighborhoods involved and we were going to create jobs. And as you know, all you have to do is say you're going to create jobs in the Black community and it's a winning issue. I mean, that's what we did with Walmart when they, you know, marched out all the Black ministers uh, to say, well, any kind of job is better than no job. And so... Uh, but the truth is, uh, Ben, and um, and I'll tell you from a personal uh, point of view. So um, I was approached by an organization uh, who wanted me to help the person who got the contract for getting communities in the black community or people in the black communities to rah-rah and be for the Olympics. And I turned it down. And I remember hearing through the grapevine that somebody said they didn't know another person who would have turned that down. Uh, but I turned it down because I knew it was not the best thing for black people because I'm not one of those people who says anything is better than nothing. <laughs> I'd rather have nothing. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> um, the, the idea, they did a poll. So the city was polling every day, I understand. like like Daly and, and Rom did. And they found out that the black community actually was not for the Olympics. And they actually found out that the city of Chicago was not for the Olympics. Uh, of course, nobody told anybody that. They didn't say that was the results of the poll. They would let us to believe that we were all for the Olympics because it was the Chicago thing to do. And so the uh, my understanding is that the Olympic Committee knew from the polling results that Chicago was not supportive of the Olympics. And so when we wound up being the first uh, city that was dismissed from the um, selection process, uh, of course, I was in heaven. Uh, <laughs> I was like, good, we don't have to go any further with these parts. <laughs> but that's one of the reasons why. Oh my goodness! Now we're having—I'm uh, having flashbacks, and I—I uh, <laughs> I remember when Chicago. Ah, oh, so happy! Uh, I was driving down to Washington Park because this—this this is 2009, uh, because the 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 center of the Olympics was going to be the big stadium was going to be at Washington Park, which is on the south side, ladies and gentlemen. Go go look at a map. I'm not going to explain where it is. And the village uh, was going to be by my house. <laughs> Was that was be by your house? Olympic Village was going to be by. Yeah, absolutely. It was going to be right near uh, where um, Michael Reese Hospital mm -hmm. uh, on the near south side. So I was driving down to, uh, to Washington Park. Pat Dow, who's the older woman from that area, uh, was going to was like going to lead the celebration because people in Chicago you talk about brainwashed. People in Chicago are so brainwashed into thinking that Mayor Daly is so powerful. Mayor Richard da M. Daly, at the, he anything he wants, he gets. And so everyone in Chicago was like, oh, of course we're going to get it. Ben, Mayor Richard Daly's for it. Barack Obama's for it. I'm like, I don't know if Daly's control goes all the way to the International Olympic Committee. Uh, so I'm driving down. There were, it was five cities in contention, and they it was one by one they're getting eliminated. So I figured I had a little time to get there because it was like it would be at least a half an hour uh, before they got to the final two. All of a sudden <laughs> – I hear Chicago was eliminated first. I'm hawking the horn. Yeah. Okay. We win by losing. And uh, <laughs> there I was, Pat Dow. I was with, <laughs> she was so sad because she wanted the Olympics. But um, 
I know my phone was ringing off the hook. I don't know what I was in the middle of something. And my phone was ringing off the hook and I couldn't answer it because I, I, I forget what I was in the middle of. But anyway, uh, when I finally did get the messages, all the messages were like, where are you? We were eliminated. Oh, <laughs> and so we God. all had uh, dinner at a Brazilian uh, restaurant. <laughs> Ooh, that, probably that steakhouse. Uh, and uh, uh, I remember that maybe the, and this is saying a lot, maybe the single dumbest editorial that the Chicago Tribune has ever written. And I realized, Dummery, there's a lot of competition. Okay. Uh, in that category, category for the dumbest editorial ever written by the Chicago Tribune uh, was one where it was something like, dry your eyes, Chicago. You gave it a good fight. I'm like, nobody's crying. Who's crying? What are you- there's tears of joy, if anything else, because we, as dumb as Chicago it's may be, sorry, Chicago, but I tell it like it is, as dumb as you may be, you had enough sense to know you're going to get stuck with a massive bill uh, if Daly got his little Olympic Games. And so most Chicagoans, you're right, didn't want to pay for it. Uh, but I didn't see that outburst of of opposition that I'm seeing in the immigrants. And that is the brainwashing of Chicagoans on both fronts. In my humble opinion, Del Marie. Uh, to like love anything that daily or the powers of be support uh, and hate anything. If it involves people different than themselves, that's how I see it. Your thoughts. But that's why there has to be an education component attached to this. Uh, so that people understand what's really going on. And, and, um, and, and also for black people, um, you know, they have to real believe that somehow they're not going to be kicked to the bottom of the totem pole once again uh, in this process. I mean, so when you talk about the Olympics, there was the promise that, oh, you're going to get jobs and, oh, it's going to be economic engine and, oh, it's going to change your community. Yeah, it was going to change the community. It was going to decimate the black community. And I can tell you, I probably wouldn't be living where I live right now if if we had gotten the Olympics because I would have been priced out if we had gotten the Olympics, much like the 606 did for the people who lived there. And that was supposed to be for the people who lived there. And we see what happened. So, so that's, that's the part of it is that, you know, you've got to convince African-Americans that this is not going to hurt them. And when you talk about the migrants coming here and they see the money that's being spent on the migrants. And also when you're talking about the numbers, uh, the fact that you're losing African-Americans here you will be gaining uh, Latino uh, Latinos. And so it continues this fight of one group loses and another group uh, wins. And when you've already established this chasm between these two groups that should be working together and are st- instead uh, being forced to compete for the sliver of pie that is, is allowed to them, uh, you're going to have these kinds of issues continue to pop up. All right. Well, I'm going to take it one step further. Uh, I'm going to tie two things that you said together with my uh, response to your, your what you just said. So you earlier talked about how anything from Walmart to the Olympics uh, could was uh, so, sold to the black community by the promise of jobs in the black community. Uh, and then you just said you have to convince uh uh, black residents that the in uh, influx of immigrants on these buses won't hurt them. What I don't understand, and I say it all the time, so I'll, I will say it all the time, is how come 
Nobody in a position of power in the city of Chicago, the state of Illinois, and the Democratic White House has thought that you could do two things, <laughs> help the immigrants and help the black community. And so you could say, not only will this not hurt you, this will help you. And so as I, when Desmond Yancey, the alderman of the Fifth Ward, went to the promontory and faced 200 angry people yelling, however it was. And I know it's hard to fill a promontory, Delmarie. <laughs> you know, I didn't see those people show up for uh, when I had my show at the, when we had JT at the uh, promontory, but they showed up to yell at Desmond Yancey. Just saying, uh, Hyde Parkers, come on now. <laughs> uh, how come you can't have someone from the city go, here are the jobs. We're going to, you're going to build the housing. I do not understand this, Delmarie. How come there's nobody that thinks this way who's in a power? We Again, we have a Democratic mayor, we have a Democratic governor, and we have a Democratic president. Well, I said that I, you, that's the exact same thing I've been saying, uh, Ben. First of all, you've got all these vacant buildings in the city of Chicago, and I don't understand why you're not rehabbing these buildings, repurposing these buildings, um, and letting the immigrants who are here, the migrants who are here, actually work on those. I mean, they're sitting around doing nothing on their cell phones and talking to each other and not doing nothing, hours and hours and hours on end. No, don't give, I'm not saying give them the union jobs, but I'm saying give them some of the menial jobs that will give them something to do that puts these buildings back in uh, makes them viable again. And then when they leave, you still have a viable building. When you leave the base camps, you're going to have a base camp that's going to be picked up and thrown away or yeah. relocated or whatever. And so you've spent millions of dollars on a temporary solution versus a permanent solution that then is permanent for the community that is left behind. I don't understand why that's not possible. It is very much possible. Uh, it's There's a lack of imagination and leadership from the Democratic Party. And I say this as a diehard Democrat who's voted Democrat my whole life, okay, except for I voted for Kerry over Daly. All right, I'll name them. I can name them. It's, <laughs> it's on one hand. I think it's five. Probably the same ones that Del Marie voted for. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, I think I voted for Percy. Yeah. I voted for Chuck Percy for Senate. All right. I'm enough. I'm not going to go down the list of them Republicans <laughs> I voted for, uh, but, uh, I, it's just a lack of imagination, Delmarie. And, um, it's just, it's, it just crushes me because it, I just see, I see Trump rising. You know, I hear the rhetoric of Trump coming out of the mouths of Chicagoans, black Chicagoans, Hispanic Chicagoans, Asian American Chicagoans. You know what I'm saying? You talk about brainwashed. They've been brainwashed by Trump. And I don't see the Democrats putting up an alternative that would thwart that movement. It's a scary time. We're facing fascism in this country. Uh, and one of the, the things about fascism, as you know, is a pits one group against another. Uh, and you need leadership. But there's just no leadership, Delmarie. That's how I see it. What's your well, there's a lack of imagination whenever it comes to black people. So, I mean, we, that's what we see all the time is a lack of imagination. I mean, we started this conversation talking about the Bear Stadium on the South Side, on lakefront property. And so the very thing that you claim you want to do, have an entertainment district and everything else, th this, this land offers it. 
the, 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 the failure of the land is that it's on the south side. Um, so when you talk about the South Suburban Airport, as you know, something I talk about all the time. If, if, if the South Suburban Airport didn't have south in it, it would probably, <laughs> it would probably be built. <laughs> so anything that is, uh, that's going to benefit Black people, is it, there is no imagination. <laughs> oh, my God, that's hilarious. Let's just eliminate the word south from right. everything, okay? Just don't think of it as South Suburban Airport. Think of it as Suburban Airport. Right. Suddenly everyone, hey, let's build that airport. Don't think of it as Southside Bear Stadium. Think of it as Side Bear Stadium. Right. Okay, just eliminate No, just call it North. Well, technically it's like uh, North of what? Springfield. So, you know, you can say it's North. It's the North Side Bear. Building it right now. <laughs> No, this city is so weird when it comes. It's the, the thing about the South Side. I listen, I know this. I I, I when I brought the <laughs> when I brought a first Tuesday show to Promontory or you know side. North side, oh, I don't know. <laughs> they start, oh, the south side, you know. But if you do it on the north side, it's just expected, you know, that well, people will go to it's so on the north side. You know no, I, I have the same thing with Ida's legacy. I have people say, Yeah, I would go, but you have, you know, it's on the south side. <laughs> like, I'm like, yeah, and I and I'm black, and why wouldn't I have something in a black venue? Yeah. So I'm not supposed to have something in a black venue, uh, because I'm I'm supposed to make you comfortable. Um and so we have it everywhere. I mean, the idea is something on the north side, something on the south side, something on the west side. We try to have it something everywhere, um, which is what everyone should do to make sure that all communities do well. Hopefully, that's what they're going to do with the Democratic Convention. <laughs> that's I, can, we, story. can we move it to Atlanta right now? <laughs> Let's just move it to Atlanta. If you're not going to use... Uh, the Democratic, if you're so clueless, Democrats, that you're not even going to use the Democratic Convention as an excuse to put black people to work building the housing for the new immigrants, then just put it to Atlanta because the Democratic Convention will rebound against you. You'll have dissatisfied black residents denouncing immigrants. You'll have 10 cities. You'll have the busload because, you know, the Republicans are going to keep sending those busloads. So if you're so clueless and unimaginative that you can't figure this out, even though I will repeat this, we have a Democratic mayor, a Democratic governor and a Democratic president. That's a lot of money. You follow what I'm saying, uh, Del Marie? There's a lot of disposable cash uh, to do a lot of good constructive things here. If you don't do it, just go have it in Atlanta. That's how I, I just. Take it out of Chicago. Do not use Chicago as a battering ram to, uh, on behalf of Trump and the Republicans. That's how I see it. Your thoughts. <laughs> no, I agree with you 100%. I mean, can you imagine um, having base camps in the city of Chicago? Um, I mean, the idea that in, in the city of Chicago, you're going to have base camps in communities. Um, again, you would not do this anywhere on the north side oh. uh you just would not do it and it just goes to show you that the fact that you are imagining that uh for the south side and 
any parts of the South Side just is an example of the lack of vision and the fact that you think everything is okay. You can do anything you want to in these communities because they have so little already that, you know, this, this won't matter. And that's what this is all about, is that we can do this to these communities because, well, they're not going to say anything. What are they going to say? They have nothing to lose. And Black people are like, we're losing everything. We have everything to lose. And we're sitting here and everybody's taking everything from us. And nobody says anything. Uh, All right. Uh, Let's uh, move to the city council for a moment. Uh, and talk about what went down uh, over the last week. Uh, you said something to me uh, at the, before we were, did the show that I just absolutely loved. And it's just, I, I would, I, I told you, you know, I, I said I'd, I'd probably steal it and claim it as my own, but I just, I don't have, I have too much pride to do that. Uh, it's so the power of the gavel, the power of a council chair and what aldermen will do <laughs> oh my lord uh so let's follow this on this one uh this is pure del marie ladies and gentlemen i cannot claim this so we were talking about anthony beale who is the ninth ward alderman far south side of chicago uh an area uh that could really use a tiff of funding but gets uh one of some of the least amount of TIF dollars, economic development dollars in the city, because the whole program is flawed in such a way as to benefit gentrifying areas. And it's not a gentrifying area. This is a guy who supported every single TIF initiative that Daly and Rahm came up with, just saying, uh, and was a loyal voting member of Daly and Rahm, even though this chief economic development program in the city of Chicago was hurting his community. All right. Now he's the leader of the, I don't know what to call them, independent forces. I mean, kind of like flipping the word independent up on his head. Uh, and it began with Lori Lightfoot. And he became the leader of the anti-Lori Lightfoot uh, faction in the Chicago City Council tag team with Raylo, Raymond Lopez, Alderman of the 15th Ward. Uh, and you said it, and the light went on. Uh, he probably never forgave Lori Lightfoot because she took his transportation committee chair away. And that's when I thought, oh, my God, there's something about being the chair of a committee in the city council. It means so much to an alderman. And so aldermen, their behavior is in many ways a reaction to getting a chairmanship, in which case they have a tendency to be allied with the mayor or being stripped of a chairmanship, in which case they hold it against that mayor. They hold that grudge, man, like my mother could hold a grudge. Uh, they get the Mama Jarofsky Award for holding a grudge if you take that chair uh, chairmanship away. Uh, why don't you take the deep dive into this, Dummery? This is your theory, so the floor is yours. Well, I've seen it, <laughs> and it works both ways. Um, you get an enemy if you take it away, and you get a friend if you give if you give them one. Um, we saw it with uh, Joe Moore. Uh, Joe Moore had been an independent. He had been a progressive on the city council. And the moment he got a chairmanship from Rom, he changed completely. I mean, it was amazing. We saw it with Scott Waggispack. He was uh, a progressive, and the moment... Lori Lightfoot gave him a chairmanship. He became a different person. Um, 
Anthony Beal was the chairman of the transportation committee for years. And the moment Lori took it away and he supported her over Tony Pratwinkle. And the moment uh, she took it away, um, you know, all of a sudden he had a different, he, uh, the light went off. He finally <laughs> saw things he had never seen before. He could see budgeting and problems and all of those things that he never had a problem with when he voted for the um, Skyway deal or when he voted for the parking meter deal or when he voted for the, uh, the Grand Park Garage deal, Millennium Park Garage deal. He didn't see any of those problems then. <laughs> But as as head of transportation, mind you, as head of transportation. But now, all of a sudden, you have you see everything. You see the light, and so I just think it's amazing uh, to watch. And I have watched it over and over, over, especially when you see people like Tony Pratwinkle, who was there twenty years, never had a chairmanship. Uh, Leslie Harrison, who was there, never had a chairmanship. And it just so happens that the two of them didn't vote for red light cameras, didn't vote for parking meter deal. <laughs> you know, just so happens that they didn't vote for those things that Anthony Beale voted for. Yeah, that is great. Great riff. Absolutely. So, oh my God, <laughs> suddenly I see things I never saw before. You mean the city is corrupt? You mean the... <laughs> These are inside deals. I mean, this is not a real democracy in the city council. <laughs> you took away my chairmanship, and suddenly it's like I have these glasses that makes me see things. <laughs> you know, like night goggles. Everything was dark, but now I can see in the night. Uh, that is, yeah, that was so true. Uh, is So, in your humble opinion, uh, should uh, Lori Lightfoot, in retrospect, I know it's Monday morning quarterbacking, should she have kept uh, Anthony Beal on uh, as transportation committee chair uh, at the well, outset of her tenure. Well, I was actually surprised she didn't because, again, he served with Lord uh, with uh, Tony Pratwinkle. He knew Tony Pratwinkle. Now, maybe they didn't vote in in lockstep, but he knew who she was, and uh, he 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 was gambling that by going with, as many people did, that by going with Lori and by her being inexperienced, that she would rely on them those people who had come out early to help her and that they would be in like Flynn. And she got in there and she said, ain't going to happen. <laughs> so, uh, you know, they, and then they became enemies. I mean, that happened to a couple other people I know, but they didn't become enemies. They just said, well, okay, I, I gave it my best shot. That's what happened. Let's move on. But, but Anthony Beale has taken it personally. Uh, yes, he has. He has definitely taken it personally, and he's carried it over uh, to Brandon Johnson. And let's just point out that uh, Anthony Beal supported Paul Vallis uh, in the um, uh, the runoff, and he was taking a gamble then too. He said, "Well, I'm gonna take my I'm gonna take my shot again." Yeah. <laughs> so I, don't, I don't know how he does in Vegas, but uh, uh, he, he ain't doing too well here on no. uh, gambling on the mayors. What his response to the, the election night uh, victory by um, Brandon Johnson was interesting. Uh, and if I could do a parallel going back in history, it's exact opposite of uh, John Stroger's. Now, let me just back up, ladies and gentlemen, millennial listeners have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, John Stroger uh, was a prominent figure in the black community, uh, the Democratic committeeman of the uh, 8th Ward. Uh, he was uh, also the president of the Cook County Board uh, for a long time. Uh, 
Uh, it's the hospital, Cook County uh, Public Hospital in Chicago is Stroger Hospital, named for him. Oh, yeah. Millennials are like, oh, that's who that's named for. Uh, you're welcome, millennials. Mm-hmm. And um, But uh, in 1983, he was loyal to the Dailies, and he endorsed Daly over Harold Washington. Uh, and he was, uh, to put it, to say he was on the losing side of things is to put it mildly. The Eighth Ward went overwhelmingly for Harold uh, in that first round against Daly and Byrne. Uh, and uh, he was a man on the outs. And you know what he did, Delmarie Cobb? I was there. I saw it. He became the biggest Harold Washington supporter <laughs> overnight. Uh, and it wasn't long before he was back. Okay. And uh, Harold, welcome back to the fold. Anthony Beal, on the other hand, was still like, he was grumbling on election night about Brandon Johnson. His city's going to hell. He was like doubling down on Vallis. I'm like, wow, that's a, you're taking a strong stance. It was because he was at Vallis headquarters on election night. So very curious reaction. Doesn't seem to put it obvious that uh, uh, Brandon Johnson commands the same sense of loyalty uh, or support. Well. Uh, um, if you gave the example of Anthony Beal, uh, also the example of Walter Burnett, Walter Burnett certainly was, uh, at Vallis headquarters on election night. Uh, I was on channel five NBC and they interviewed him and, and he reacted to something I said. Um, and He's now vice mayor. <laughs> so that's a prime example of what you're saying of going all in. Hey, you lost. You lost. You just say, hey, I shot my I, I, I shot my wad and I lost and I'm going to make the best of it. And uh, and and voila, Walter Burnett, vice mayor. <laughs> yeah. So Anthony Beale could have been. Anthony Beal, you could have gotten your transportation committee's position back. You'd have been a little more diplomatic. Uh, all right. Uh, the other big news, of course, is uh, uh, Carlos Ramirez Rosa. You've known him for a long time. Uh, the um, alderman of the 35th Ward, uh, longtime progressive in the city council since, well, 2015. Anyways, a young man. Uh, and uh, Brandon Johnson had decided to make Carlos his floor leader. Uh, and then last uh, Thursday at that special meeting that I was alluding to, uh, mm-hmm. Carlos was sort of like blocking the doorway uh, to keep aldermen from uh, coming in, women from coming in, because he didn't want to have a quorum. Uh, I've, I've stated that, uh, that the fact that that's what the Johnson administration was depending on to keep that meeting for on sanctuary cities and bring a quorum is a sign lack of leadership on the Johnson administration, in my humble opinion. I don't know what Del Murray thinks about. Uh, and it shouldn't have come down to Carlos Ramirez Rosa standing at the door, like pleading, imploring, demanding that people not show up uh, on a very contentious issue uh, about sanctuary city status that probably has the support of a good chunk of residents in everybody's ward. Uh, so, uh, and uh, uh, he was rude, to put it mildly, to uh, Alderwoman Emma Mitz, uh, and was was forced uh, in the uh, in the suing controversy to step down as floor leader and zoning chair and apologize on the council floor. Um, your thoughts on all of that? This starting with the decision to make him the floor leader. Go ahead. Well, you know, again, going back to um, 
what we were talking about in terms of chairmanships, they have been used as um, rewards for people to do the mayor's bidding. Um, that was one of the things that this city council was trying to stop from happening, if you remember, uh, prior to Brandon taking office. And they were all meeting, Scott Wagaspack, I believe, had taken the lead, and they were all meeting and divvying up, divvying up the uh, uh, chairmanships. And um, uh, so taking that power away from, from the uh, mayor. And uh, as a progressive, I always say that they've got nothing, <laughs> you know, uh, you got nothing under Daly, you got nothing under Rom. you got, you didn't get a whole lot under uh, Lori, you may have gotten a little, but not a whole lot. And so finally, you get a progressive mayor in there. And, you know, of course, he's going to reward some of the progressives. And he took back that power. Uh, and so one of the people he rewarded was Carlos, because Carlos had been with him from the beginning. And, um, but I just don't think uh, that he should have been given floor leader and zoning. I, I, I think that might have been a little too much, uh, especially, I mean, those are positions that you want somebody who is seasoned, uh, who, and, and, and Carlos is 30, 34 years old. He got in there in 2015. He's a young man. He's still learning. And, uh, you know, it just is an example of sometimes if you give somebody something and they're not ready, they, it goes to their heads. And uh, I believe that's what happened. And even Jeanette Wilson, I mean, Jeanette Taylor said uh, in a quote where she said, if you don't think you are ready for the responsibility, you need to step down. And, uh, and that's really what she was saying is that this is a little bit too much responsibility for somebody his age. Uh, that's a baby boomer talking to you, Carlos. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, I'll put it to you this way. Everything the city, I've been thinking about this since we had our, our conversation, uh, before the show, so much has changed in Chicago city council, uh, since it was the days of daily, uh, and Rom, uh, and the city council is more independent and, and you and I have been pushing for this for years. So I'm not hating on this. I like the fact that it's an independent body. Uh, I want to see more legislative oversight, not less uh, over the mayor. Uh, so it's more independent. And you can't you can't treat aldermen with the same sort of contempt that uh, Daly and Rahm just on a routinely basis. I remember Sue uh, uh, Garza, Sue Sedlowski Garza, when she became alderwoman. She was a very contentious election, very heated election, defeated Rom, one of Rom's uh, supporters in the 10th Ward. And she told me this story, and I, I put it in an interview, I, uh, in, in an article I wrote about her. Rom sat her down, uh, and he said that after he brought her, he invited her to the office after she finally won, after I think it went to her, it was a recount. And he said, I don't want you to make this a circus. That's what he said to her. <laughs> and she was like, What, are you, what am I, a clown? You know what I mean? What a disrespectful thing to say to me. Just because I won, what, what, how come you feel like obligated to talk to me that way with that lack of respect? And, but that was just like, she, she didn't go public with it. Like she, it was like, it was a different generation. Even though it was only uh, 
eight years ago, Del Marie, it was like a different world. You know what I mean? It was like the mayor had that much power. He could be disrespectful to older people. They could be contemptuous of older people. They could laugh at him, mock him if they dared uh, to uh, speak up against him, bury their legislation and rules committee. You know, you know how they treated aldermen who were different, uh, independent, different. I'm thinking like independent. Right. How many times did they go after Leon Dupre if we go way back in time, mock him, you know, make fun of him. And you can't do that anymore. I think it's better. The city council that you have to, there's, there's a, an element of respect that you have to accord everyone. But as an old timer, I'm like, wow, <laughs> isn't it interesting that finally it's like a lefty progressive guy is paying the price for being disrespectful to his colleagues when it was acceptable behavior for all these years. It's, it's a, a bit of an adjustment uh, for me, Delmarie. Go ahead. Well, you know, that's um, that level of disrespect that you're talking about that uh, Rahm Emanuel was famous for um, is is exactly what created the CTU that we have now. I, I often remind people this monster that you keep talking about was created because of Rahm Emanuel saying to Karen Lewis, oh, face it, Lewis, 25% uh, aren't going to make it anyway. Yep. And thinking you could say that to the head of CTU. And when you're talking about black kids, uh, and that would be okay, uh, because I took you to dinner. <laughs> and so you're supposed to be so happy that I took you to dinner or to the ballet that I can just say whatever I want to say to you. Uh, so, you know, what you are seeing with Brandon is what he ran on this whole thing of collaboration. I'm collaborative. Uh, and so he has decided to put different factions uh, in the sandbox to play. And he wants them all to play nice. Uh, so he's got, you know, he's got a Walter Burnett. He's got uh, a Carlos Ramiro Rosa. Uh, he's got uh, some of these people all in the play, uh, you know, some of these people who came out of the daily administration. Uh, and he's brought them back into the fold and given them positions of, 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 of responsibility and importance and to show that, see, I'm going to be different. I'm going to uh, govern differently. And, um, and you can't, you know, some of those factions and differences are real. And one of the things that's real, whether Carlos realizes it or not, uh, and this is what played in in this scenario is that disrespect of an older black woman um and and my first reaction was well that's an example of how black women are treated by everybody and that's who carla carlos became everybody a young latino man 34 years old who thinks he can bully a black woman even the fact that you think it would he have done it to an older Latina woman, Latina? I don't know that he would have. Now he may have done it to men uh, because he's a man, but I don't know that he would have done it to an older Latina. Yeah, and um, I just want to uh, do a little promotion here. Tomorrow, an interview that I did with Lakeisha Collins drops, and it's all about this. Uh, uh, State Senator Lakeisha Collins. Uh, called me up and uh, 
she wanted to talk about this. She felt very strong about this. And Lakeisha Collins, uh, as Dumarie knows, is a member of the same uh, lefty progressive community that Carlos is. So, and Emma Mitz, as Dumarie knows, is a member of sort of the Rom Democratic faction. I mean, she was an ally of Rom. She was. Uh, I think does she go back to Daily. Yes, yes, remember. she does. She goes back to Daily. Okay, I can't remember. Uh, so she's very much of the. Uh, the old school uh, faction of democratic uh, uh, politics in the city of Chicago. But Lakeisha spoke out on behalf of Emma Mitz, even though they're politically, they're not aligned on this issue. And um, Del Marie, you're so right, man. I mean, it's just, you know, I mean, you say it every time you come on the show, mm-hmm. uh, pretty much like black women get ignored. And they're not seen, you know, whatever, however the millennials talk about it or the Z's talk about it. It is the way it is. Do you follow me, Delmarie? They're not listened to. Uh, and, um, and I'm like, it, it's so disrespectful on one level. Uh, and then on the other level, it's like so, con- again, it's so typical Democrat. It's so counterproductive because this is the core of the Democratic Party. Delmarie, you know, I mean. Well, you know, but again, this age group and, um, you know, and I certainly I work all my clients are every age. Um, I've got, you know, when when I did Anthony Beal's first campaign, he was the youngest elected alderman. Uh, in 1999. So I, I have done young people, young people's campaigns since I started my business. So I don't have a problem with age, but I do. But we, but whether you have a problem or not, we all know there's a difference. And we all know that we're living in a time where there's a complete lack of respect in, in, in many ways. And of course, all of that has been exacerbated by a Donald Trump, who under the guise of authenticity, uh, can do and say what you want to do and say to people, and it's okay. And so this whole notion of disrespect, being crude, uh, all those kinds of things are far more acceptable now than they ever have been. And um, and it's and you know and you can't disagree with me. I mean, it's so it's so bad as we know that how you settle disagreements is by shooting the person. Uh, I won the argument. Okay, I shot you. I won the argument. We, we won't ever have an argument again. I mean, we're in that kind of environment now. So when you look at the environment we're in, uh, Carlos Ramirez Rosa, what he did, <laughs> pales in comparison. But he's a product of the environment that we are currently in. All of us are experiencing this. And it's not getting better, it's getting worse. But the good thing is he was called on his actions. Uh, uh, first of all, Mayor Brandon Johnson couldn't afford not to call him on his actions, given that Brandon is a black man. He talks about being black. He's married to a black woman. He lives in the black community. And so he had to call him on what he did. Uh, the other good thing is Carlos was receptive enough to accept the criticism and to understand that he needed to apologize publicly. And he did that. The other good thing is 
Emma Mintz forgave him publicly. And the way I see it is, if she forgives him, who am I to walk around mad at him? Hmm. Well, and uh, that was a great riff. And and that leads up to the censure vote. What a joke. That censure vote in the city council against Carlos Mirza was just an attempt to uh, embarrass uh, Mayor Brandon Johnson. And that's how I see it. I would love to get your thoughts. Because Emma Mitz forgave him, hugged him. They had a hallmark moment on this floor of the Chicago <laughs> City Council, Del Marie. I'm like, okay, he lost. He already lost his uh, his position as floor leader. He already lost his position as zoning chair. He been publicly humiliated. Okay, you know what I'm saying? What do you want to do to the man for doing stuff that was ex- routine behavior for how many years, Del Marie? <laughs> you know routine behavior in the Chicago city council for how many years and was called leadership in those days when mayor Daly did it and mayor Rahm did it. So to take it that next step and have the vote to censure him, knowing that Brandon Johnson didn't want to go that what's that about? That's about, in my opinion, humiliating Brandon Johnson, forcing Brandon Johnson to uh, step in the middle of this, your thoughts. Well, and he did. (laughs) Um, because he didn't let it happen. And, um, and so, I mean, I think that all of, all the, everyone involved should move on. Uh, as you said, uh, Carlos has been rebuked. Uh, he knows he was wrong. He knows he blew it. I mean, here he, you, I mean, look at what you just had and you blew it over nothing. Um, uh, it, you will have a hard time getting it, clawing it back. And so uh, I think that is punishment enough um, because he's going to have to live with that for a long time. And uh, he may never get another opportunity because we don't know how long we're going to have a progressive mayor. Uh, and so I think at this point, everybody should, should you know, retreat to their respective corners and, and say, okay, that's over with because there's another fight on the horizon, there's always another fight, and there's always another day, you know, for the fight. Uh, all right, so we'll close with this. Uh, Del Marie Cobb's advice to Mayor Brandon Johnson. So he has no floor leader now. He has no zoning uh, committee chair right now. In your humble opinion, who should he select to be the new floor leader and the new zoning committee chair? Well, if I were going to select somebody to be the floor leader in concert with who Brandon says he is in terms of being collaborative and making nice and want everybody to play in the sandbox nicely, I, <laughs> I, would, uh, I would choose Scott Waggispack as my floor leader and David Moore as my zoning chair. Those are the two I would pick. Um, all right. I know you're a big fan of David Moore. Uh, you uh, worked with him on his um, his campaign uh, for secretary of state. Uh, and it was my intense loyalty to Delmarie Cobb that got me to vote for David Moore in that election. I always point that out. Delmarie brings these candidates on. I go, all right, I'll vote for him, Delmarie, because of you. Uh, and um, but I actually uh, I like David. The, the 
I actually think he, he would have been a good floor leader, but all right, neither here nor there. Because uh, I think he has a lot of the qualities that a floor leader has to have. Uh, why do you say Scotty Wagusback for floor leader? Do you, I mean, well, I, you... I say that mainly because he's been there. And, and again, I think that's a position that where you need somebody seasoned. Uh, the fact that he was on the finance committee, he did get a finance committee chair when he changed, uh, uh, means that he has that sense of things and, and has that knowledge that he brings to the table. Um, he certainly did have the, the, the respect of his colleagues, which you, you've got to have as well, to be able to finesse certain things. Um, so again, bringing him back into the fold uh, of a progressive, I would give him that opportunity. David uh, has the experience as a developer. He worked for, he's, a, he's an accountant, first of all, he's, a, he's an accountant, and he worked for um, the aviation department. He worked for the uh, CHA. He helped develop a CHA. Um, and so he has zoning background uh, because he's worked in those areas. And he would be, you know, he would be able to hit the ground running uh, and, and would definitely bring uh, some credibility to that position. And he's to, got his colleagues and yeah. the respect of his colleagues as well. I, I, I'm, I'm going to reflect on your choices. Uh, one of my, um, I'm thinking about Scott uh, and um, he represents a ward on the north side uh, that is, uh, relatively affluent and my guess is uh that it would be an awkward position for him to have to be endorsing some of the more uh what progressive proposals of the uh the johnson administration uh in his ward if you follow what i'm saying so like the front page of today's uh, sun times is a headline a uh, 10-day paid leave passes council employees at Chicago businesses will soon be guaranteed twice as many days off as workers in the rest of Illinois. I don't know how Scott voted on that. For all I know, he voted with Brandon. I don't have the uh, in front of me, but that was an issue in which the opposition came from business community types, uh, chamber of commerce types, who are probably close ideologically to a lot of well-off Northsiders. So he may be a little uncomfortable. You know, when you're the floor leader, you got to be with the plan completely. You follow me, Delmarie? Um, so I have to think about that. Uh, well, I'm, I'm saying that because he came into office as a progressive. That's what he came in as. Yes, <laughs> he came in the office as, you're right. Until he got a chairmanship. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then he stopped being a progressive. Um, okay. And so I'm saying, given that, the, the arc of his service, <laughs> I, <laughs> I would, uh, I think he could do that, um, you know, and, and would be okay. Uh, that's that's where I'm coming from. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Uh, all right, we'll close. Uh, you have an opportunity. Anything you want to promote, uh, the floor is yours. Any meetings, any uh, issues, anything. Uh, yeah, so I just like to see, does have an event coming up December 8th. Um, and we're going to be talking about ranked choice voting as well as the elected school board, uh, Chicago's elected school board. So those are going to be the two featured items at our breakfast uh, that we're going to have at eight o'clock, December 8th at Greater Rock Missionary Baptist Church, 718 South Independence Boulevard 
And again, you can always go to our website, www.idaslegacy.com yes. and I'll see what we've got going and sign up for it so you can get our, our emails. And even though the word South isn't that street address, Northsiders, just pretend it says North. Just pretend it says North and you'll be okay. <laughs> uh, I unfortunately will have to miss that because 8 a.m. is God or awfully early for me. Uh, this old baby boomer. But uh, I know most people get up well before 8 o'clock, so no problem for 99% of the humanity. And Delmer, this location what? because it's only two blocks from the expressway, so it's a really easy location. No excuses, Northsiders. <laughs> no excuses, okay? <laughs> I don't know, Ben. No, get in your car and go there. <laughs> or take an Uber or take a bus, whatever. Delmarie, thank you so much. Uh, it's always a blast talking politics with you. Same here. Thank you. That's great, Delmarie Cobb. Also want to thank producer Chris. He does an outstanding job. I think everybody, north side, south side agrees. Hey, producer Chris, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody. And remember, you can always catch up on previous Ben Jarofsky shows. Get Benny J bonus interviews, columns from Ben Jarofsky, check out the Chicago Reader store, and a whole lot more, all at chicagoreader.com. You can follow Ben on Instagram, at Benny J Show. And as always, please like and subscribe to the Ben Jarofsky Show on your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms.